You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. If you uh, have a Bible with you, please turn to Genesis chapter 9. We have been slowly working our way through the Genesis narrative. Chapters 1 through 11 is what we're going through in this part one of the series. And now we're into, this is like a double part, okay? So we're in a part one of Genesis, but now we're in part two of the Noah story. Uh, last week, we started hearing about it and hearing about this uh, flood that was coming. And it, if you'll remember, if you haven't been with us, but maybe you're familiar with the story in Genesis, we, to just kind of quickly catch you up, it's like God created and made the world and Uh, What seems really quickly in the narrative, sin enters in and God is continually coming with his gracious hand uh, to bring uh, judgment and also salvation. Those things are like constantly coming into play as people step away from God. God actually comes and brings consequences to that. But then he's like right there providing grace and mercy and salvation all along the story. And that's what we heard last week is that violence and evil was just increasing on the planet to such a scale that God was like, okay, I need to actually step in here and do something very dramatic. And so this flood narrative comes into the story. Now, I don't know about you, but it's really nice to renovate something in your house. You know, to like have a fresh start. About, uh, maybe it was three years ago now, I can't remember exactly. It was during COVID right at the beginning. We like redid our basement bathroom. It was kind of the first step in kind of renovations. And it's like, I was looking at some pictures the other week. It was really nice to just take it all out, you know, rip everything out down to the studs and just put all new stuff in. It's really nice and new. You know when it still has that new smell for a while in the beginning, all the new stuff? Um, Just wonderful to have a fresh start. But that was three years ago, you know, and really quickly, if you use a place, this stuff just starts getting dirty and you're, you know, maybe like a little paint chip here or there. It's just, it's not perfect forever. Because we live in a fallen world, that doesn't happen. Things just begin to kind of wear out a little bit. And maybe there's even other aspects of your life where you've thought, a fresh start is all I need. That's all I need is just like something new. Maybe you even came to citizens with that in mind. Almost almost all of us actually who started the church plant, like there was 31 adults who started citizens four years ago. This idea of this is a fresh start was in our minds. And maybe we even thought like it's going to be all new. Like everything that I've experienced in the past is not going to happen anymore. But possibly all of us have discovered that there's just certain things that just keep coming up. They keep kind of showing up unless you get like a total redefinition, a whole new view of what is actually possible and what God could do. And here in Genesis, we're going to look at chapter 9, and some of the things that we're going to look at are going to seem like repetitious. You might think, 
didn't we just do that like five weeks ago in the beginning? Because the things that God says to Noah are very similar to what he says to Adam and Eve in the beginning. But he's wanting to set out a course for them again. This, is, this cataclysmic judgment has just come. And now he's saying, here's a reminder, here's the vision again of your place in this world, Noah, and all your family that's with you, and then all the families that will come later. This is how I've made the world to be, and this is how you are supposed to be in this world as a person. It's, it's a redefinition again so that our foundation is set, so that it's not just a, like, a new thing, a fresh thing, but it's actually got the, the right vision behind it, the right change at a foundational level. And it begins with a new beginning. Look at verse 1, which we just heard read to us just a few moments ago. Right away, God speaks to their identity and to their place on this planet. He says this, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We heard that, you know? For those of us who are here for the earlier sermons in Genesis, we heard that exact same thing when God spoke to Adam and Eve. Now he says it again to Noah and to his sons and to all those who would come after them. He says, this is your, this is your part to play on the planet now. You are to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. So obviously, immediately, you know, something we would think of is, yes, they're meant to have families and to populate the earth. They're meant to have children. And there's even a, uh, a blessing from children that they are, they're wonderful. Like we just had all these kids up front here. They're, they are to be um, blessed and to be desired. And if the Lord gives them to you, then it's a good thing. Even though they're a lot of work and they cost a lot of money, right? Like there's a lot of things that, that these little kids do. But God says this is part of the vision is to actually increase, make more people, men and women, boys and girls who would glorify God. But he also has this vision that is bigger than just children, okay? So not everybody has children, okay? Not everybody gets married. So there's a, a larger vision that actually encapsulates everybody. And it is this vision of building societies and creating jobs and doing work. This is part of the idea of filling the earth. And in the, in the Middle Ages, there was this view that the only godly work that could be done was work that was done in the monasteries and in the cathedrals. So what the nuns were doing and what the monks were doing and the priests, that was like their definition. That was the only work that was godly. But what we've come to discover is actually that all the work that we do, all the work that is done, is actually meant to be done with a God-focused vision. So whether you're an employee or an employer, God is actually meant to shape how you do that work so that those around you can be blessed and they can actually be flourishing because of what you do, whether it is fixing something, uh, you know, leading employees, whatever your part is in this economy that we are living in, God actually says you can bring into that a, a type of flourishing that is actually sourced in God. Now there's, 
some companies, maybe you even know about them, some companies that, that do this without even a Christian foundation. They've just kind of learned through experience how to treat people well, how to have flourishing as a mindset. I think of a company, I've got a couple of their bags. It's a company called Tombin, and they make bags for traveling and all that. And I was um, reading on their website recently how when it comes to Black Friday, Okay, Black Friday, we all know that. The day that, I don't know how many of us like bought something on Black Friday. It's a day that everybody shops, you know. And all the stores are like, yes, this is our day. So we're just like maxing out. Well, on Black Friday, they actually closed down their store for the whole weekend. They're like, it's Thanksgiving in, in the U.S. And so we have employees that work hard all year. And rather than going all into this kind of consumerist mindset, they're like, we're going to do the opposite. I mean, their website's open. You could still buy a bag on Black Friday. and Maybe there's even sales. I don't know. But the whole team is off for the weekend. They're thinking, how do we create an environment where our employees can actually flourish? Okay, and that's a company that, to the best of my knowledge, I was looking on the website, I don't think they're Christian at all, okay? So God gives this actually like kind of common grace practices to the world. But here we see in Genesis, God is saying, this is part of your mandate. Those of you who know God should actually fill and subdue the earth in a way that is shaped by his vision for people. So who better to set the course actually as employees and business owners for a godly perspective on business and economy in the world. But he doesn't end there. So he begins with this like grand vision, fill the earth, subdue it. But then he goes even more particular into the, the earth that we inhabit. Look at verse 2. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So here God says, humans, people, Noah and all those in the boat, you have a distinct relationship to the earth around you. You have, a, you have a way to live in and manage the earth like no other animal on the planet. And we can see that looking around us. You don't need to be a Christian to see that. You can see that people are able to manage the world in a way that cows or monkeys don't. Okay, We are like distinct in that way. But we are called to do it in a way, again, that is pleasing to the Lord, and in a way that is good for human flourishing within that. So that means that what we do actually affects the world around us. I remember when I, I lived in Michigan for a couple years, and um, in Michigan, I guess I didn't know this before, but in Michigan, there's a lot of deer. There's deer all over the place. And if you're in Michigan, like so many people hunt deer. It's just like a thing there, okay? There's a lot of hunters out there. And I was looking up this week, kind of looking into how does that work? The deer and the hunting, you know, because this is like human involvement into nature. And I found this article, and it was all about deer hunting and the place of deer. So if you're a hunter, this is going to intrigue you. If you're not, we'll be back in 30 seconds, okay? But here's what it says. Here's what the article says. 
Hunters are absolutely conservationists at heart. This is Ashley Altenrieff, who is a deer program biologist with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. That's her title, okay? So she says they are absolutely conservationists. We rely on hunters to keep their deer populations in check. Without annual deer harvests, Michigan deer would suffer from a wide range of hardships caused by overpopulation, such as starvation and disease. Hunting is our main tool for wildlife management, even if most people don't realize its importance. All the hunters are like, yes, you know, okay. I'm not a hunter, okay, so I don't know, okay. But here's what they're saying. Here's the, let's step back from that as a, Maybe it's an issue if it's an issue, okay? Here's, the, here's what they are saying and what they're confirming is people play a role in the management of the planet. And now here's the challenge. The greed and desire and the lust that people have from a sinful inclination ends up overusing the planet in different ways. And driving us to consume and do things that will actually go too far in what you could call management. Okay? So the text here is saying, people, humans, you actually have a very crucial role as not only like living on this planet, but managing it and stewarding it well so that there is, you know, enough for everybody to kind of enter into whatever aspect of this planet's usage that they want to. And yet we see over time, we've lived here now for thousands of years, that that balance always kind of tips toward greed, desire, destruction. So that you can go to places on the planet now where it just looks uh, degraded, okay? It's been overly used. And rather than looking at it and like the psalmist says, like glorifying God at the beauty of it, we just look at it and we think, wow, this thing has been like decimated. So God says, you've been put on this planet to actually steward and manage the planet so that there is flourishing, that there's fulfilling, which does mean we're going to have to like use the planet. We're going to have to use its resources. So that happens. But he says, do it in a way that actually fits in to the flourishing of the planet. So he talks about our big identity issue of what we're here for, how we use the planet. And then he goes one step forward, forward where he says, how do you relate to each other? And this, again, is repetition from what we learned with Adam and Eve in the early chapters of Genesis. Verse 4, look at this. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man... From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So, some people have used this text to um, justify just war or maybe capital punishment. Okay, so there's all kinds of discussions around that. But here's what we want to focus on. One step under that. We're, these are foundational truths, okay? So what we want to focus on is at the end of verse 6 there, God is clarifying again this very important truth. Like this is so important for us to understand. If you don't get this right, it will alter the way you treat people and the way you see yourself on this planet. 
At the end of verse 6, God made man, that's generic man, man and woman, in his own image. God made man in his own image. We are unique on the planet, not because we're better than elephants or anything else, but because we have been made in God's image. That is very different than all the rest of creation. We glorify God. We mimic God in how we live and how we interact in this world. So God has made us in his image so that we can be in the world together. And, and remember, if, if you weren't here, the context of Genesis is Moses writing this down to a freed nation of slaves. Slaves coming out of Egypt. And now Moses is writing down this story to reframe their minds so that they can now enter into the promised land with the right mindset. Here's what they're used to. Oppression. Being told what to do. Probably being told they're nothing. Doubting that there is a creator even. How could we live under this kind of slavery for centuries and centuries? And now Moses is saying, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are made in the image of God. You are a people that matter. You maybe had generations of hearing, you don't matter. You're just a slave. You're just oppressed. You're nothing. You're just a, a tool to be used like a shovel. And now, Moses here is reframing for them. A second time here. This is like repeat. Be and you know why? Because we all need to hear this. Every single one of us. The experiences that we've been through have maybe shaped our view of ourselves. Maybe the experiences we've had with other relationships, hurtful things that have been said to us, difficult experiences that we've gone through, and we also think we're of no value. Or maybe the only thing that's of value is what I bring to the table, what I can do, what I look like, what I'm good for. Here's what the text is saying. Please hear me. Here's what the image of God truth is saying. You've been made in God's image. You have been made in God's image. It doesn't matter what you can do. It doesn't matter how good you are at doing whatever you can do. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't even matter what you believe in. You could be in here right now and you have no belief in this at all. That does not change the fact that God has made you in his image. Ultimately, we believe that you've been made to glorify him, but you have been made in God's image. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul comes into this because in the New Testament, the gospel truth comes to, to bear in an even greater way. And the Apostle Paul knows that the people in the New Testament, just like us today, just like all the way back in Genesis, would much rather categorize they would much rather put people into slots to, to see what their value is, what their contribution to society is. All these things are really what matters, and it's all going to kind of come down together. Well, here's what he says in, in Galatians chapter 3 when the gospel comes on. It's like a, a, a reminder of the image of God truth that we're looking at. Galatians 3 says this in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, meaning you're like this firstborn son. Through faith. For as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. 
There's no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So Paul says, I know you want to categorize yourself, Jew or Greek, free or slave, male or female. Paul says that's the natural mindset. What do you bring to the economy? What do you bring to the story of the world? That's how we measure it. And he says, in Christ, all things are made new. Our value is because we've been made in God's image and we've been made to relate to him. And now Paul says, because of Christ and the gospel, that unification has been made complete. That's why it's the good news. Because God has brought us together. Not on on the merits of anything we've done, but just because of Christ's work for us. So Paul is, is echoing what the image of God is saying. You were by original design. You were meant to be made in the image of God to glorify and worship him. So this then shapes the the reality of the image of God teaching shapes then how you view yourself and it shapes how you view others. Um, Tom Holland, not the actor who is Spider-Man, okay, but Tom Holland, the um, author and historian, wrote the book uh, Dominion, just uh, the history of how the world has come to be and how the Western world has come to be. He says, when it comes to human rights, you know, that, that people would think like all the world has kind of these human rights where people are valuable and people matter. Tom Holland, who's, uh, to the best of my knowledge, not a Christian. Uh, I think he's kind of starting to move towards that, but he's not a Christian. Um, he says that very idea that everybody has value and that we should treat everybody nicely and we should hold different states to these same standards. He says that is a Christian idea. That is an idea that is anchored in Genesis. And he says, don't think that that came out of uh, evolution. Okay, so if you think of evolution, he says it doesn't come out of evolution. Evolution is all about power and the strongest survive. Okay, so there's no like being nice to someone. It's like domineer, move forward. That's the evolutionary mindset. And he also says this is not like a Greco-Roman mindset either. He says in the Greco-Roman world, it was all power-based as well. So the most power have all the decisions, they have all the money, and everybody down below kind of follows along. He says this idea that everybody matters and everybody like should have a fair shake in this world is a distinctly Christian idea. So again, we are given this foundation of this new beginning where God says, this is your identity. This is how you belong in the world and what you're called to do. And now, as you interact with each other, you have an identity that is based in being a creation of God, distinctly made in his image. Okay, that was point number one. Okay, that was like a little bit longer than I anticipated. Okay, so we're going to move along here. Okay, point number one was this like a new beginning. Secondly, here is a new covenant. Okay, Imagine, it's hard for us to imagine this, uh, Noah coming out of the ark. Just experiencing all the, the, the flood and like all the markets that they would have gone to, gone. All the people that they would have interacted with, gone. Like nothing is there 
Nobody is left. And now here they are, this family coming out of the ark. And the consequences of sin in the world would have been so prevalent in their minds. They would have seen it because nothing was there anymore. And so here they are, kind of sitting under in, in the, the wake of this consequence of sin in their life. And it would have felt, it must have felt extremely heavy because of the consequences. Now, we also know, all of us know that the consequences to, to sin and bad choices are painful. And they kind of grow in degree. You know, so if you've got like a little kid, a little toddler, uh, their bad choices are, they're like, they're bad if you're the parent, you're not happy about it. But generally, the consequences aren't like a big deal, you know, because they're making like kind of small choices. You know, as it bumps up a little bit to like a teenager and young adult, especially as the parents, you're like, please choose wisely here, okay? You know, it's like this is kind of a big deal. And if you choose wrongly, you know, we talk a lot with kids about like choose good friends, you know, because if you get in the wrong crowd, that could end up, leading you down the wrong path in multiple years. And so you can see there's like an increase in severity. And then when we get into adulthood even, you can see you're like, man, if you choose that road as an adult, there's going to be some serious consequences. They're going to be like really painful for you for decades or maybe for the rest of your life. So in our lives, we experience this like depth of consequence from small to great. And here before Noah and the family is the, the residual effects of the flood and sin that has come. And so now God comes onto the scene with that in their minds, knowing that they are wrestling over this. And here's what he says. Then God said to Noah, this is verse 8, and to the sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So God comes on the scene and he says, I've got a solution for you, for your mind and for your living. Then he says in verse 14, I will bring clouds over the earth and the, the bow is seen. When the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Verse 17, God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Here's what's interesting about this. Look at, the, look at those verses again. If you see them, God is doing this. This is all God. God is coming onto the scene here, knowing what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. And he says, Noah, I'm giving you a promise. This is a covenant. And God is the main player in this covenant. You see that? In verse 15, I will remember. Verse 16, I will see it. Verse 17, I have established it. There's no like, okay, Noah, you know, you play your part and I'll play mine. And if you miss your part, in comes another flood. No, God says, this one is all on me, Noah. This promise is totally on me. So when you see, uh, we call it rainbows now in the text, it calls it a bow. It's a reminder, actually, 
not even so much to us. You see that in the text? The bow is actually a reminder for God. When God sees it, he's reminded he will keep his word. He will keep his promises. Bruce Waltke writes this, God unilaterally takes full responsibility to preserve the earth and its complete ecology forever in order to sustain his image bearers. There it is. That's what Bruce is saying. God is making a promise to to Noah and all the descendants. He will not bring that kind of judgment ever again. And it's all based on his character. He's the one who's going to keep it. Here's the interesting thing. For us in our world, when we see a rainbow, when does a rainbow come? It comes after the storm. You know, the storm goes through, generally. There was a a rainbow like a week ago or something, right? Maybe you saw it, um, you know, in the middle of February. It was kind of wild. A rainstorm comes through, and there's there's a rainbow. And this is how it works. In the difficulty of life, in the storms of life, when it looks dark, bleak, it's, it's usually right on the tail end of those things where the promises of God need to be held on to and they need to be experienced as true and good and right. And it's like God has made it in a way within nature even so that we experience a reminder of his promise to us even in the midst of or after a storm. When it feels like God is not near, promises aren't true, God says, I'm bringing a rainbow in to to show you that I am faithful, to remind you that my promises are true. So if you're in that season, if you're in that rainstorm right now, I want to remind you of God's promises towards you, of his goodness, of his peace, that can be entered into, of his love towards you. The rainbow is a reminder to God that that kind of judgment will never be brought again. And so we actually continue to hold on to it to this day. So God brings this covenant and he brings a new beginning. And then finally he brings a new covering. So maybe you're like wondering, you know, verses 20, 21, 22, you know, even Jill was checking. She was like, did you really want me to read those verses, you know? Um, Was that a part of the, it's a part of the, it's very much a part of the story. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Into the Wild, the story of this young man named Chris who wanted to, like, leave his family, kind of messed up family, abusive family situation. So he's, like, all young and idealistic, and he sells everything, burns the last of his money and goes off on this like two-year adventure, ultimately ending up in the mountains of Alaska. And this idea of if I can just get away and have like a fresh start somewhere, then like life's going to be good. Just go somewhere new, find some different place, life's going to be better. If there was ever a moment of a fresh start This is it. I mean, this is about as good as you can get. You've got Noah and his family who entered the ark by faith. And now everybody else is gone. And so 
this is like the human experiment of like people who like trusted God and now they are living life clean slate. Many of us would think like, this is going to go good. Like this is going to be really good, you know. Because we like are tempted to think that. You know, if we just like kind of protect ourselves, get around like a bunch of Christian people, or just get around people who are really nice, who think just like me, this is going to be good. Like just trust me, it's going to work out. But here's the thing. Here's what the flood did not wash away. Indwelt sin. Sin in the heart of people did not get washed away by the flood. So here we have now, into the narrative, Noah. Like Noah is the man. He's the one whose faith is rock solid. Everybody else is like, do we really go in the ark? And Noah's like, come on, let's go. And here, what does it say in verse 20? Noah began to be a man of the soil. So he's following the mandate that God has given to him. And he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So here into the story, you have suddenly sin entering in through the person of Noah, who's um, a, we would probably categorize him, rightly so, as like a wise old man. And you'd think like, the older you get, the less sin is going to get you, you know? Now, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, 70% of Citizens Church is under the age of 40, okay? So I'm in the 30 and up, okay? I'm in the old category, okay? And maybe many of you, along with me, have this mindset of, like, the older I get, the less sin is just going to, like, have its tentacles on me. And hopefully, you know, after decades and decades of walking with the Lord and listening to the Holy Spirit, you'd be more sensitive to God's leading in your life. But here's what the story of Noah reminds us, is that sin is in the heart of men and women from childhood all the way up to death. It is lingering. And remember from the story of Cain and Abel, it's like a lion that is constantly stalking us. From the young to the old. And here we have Noah, who has given himself over to sin, walking right into this. And then we don't have a lot of details, but it seems like Ham's choice as well, his son, is a, is a choice that is, its origin is in sin itself. And so we see that his response, some commentators think that uh, what Ham ended up doing was that Noah was kind of like laying there partially naked and Ham actually, rather than covering his father up, took the blanket and completely exposed him and probably took some joy in it. And so you have entering onto the scene here, sin again. It's still there. It's still affecting people and its consequences then are far-reaching over time. And then we have on the scene the great verse of verse 23 that says, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Some of the commentators say they probably took the very blanket that Ham had used. And rather than enjoying in the sin and the choices that Noah made, they actually covered their father. And 
It's, it's a beautiful picture because it reminds us that we need each other. It reminds us that even the greatest leader, the one that we look up to, is still touched by sin and failure is still right around the corner wanting to, to take us all down and we need community. This is partially why as a church we have built missional family as our vision because we do not believe that we were ever meant to do the Christian life alone. We just believe that is so against actually what God has designed. We need people around us who will care for us, who will know us, know the things of our lives that are easy and hard. And when we fall, they will come and they will even cover us with blankets. They will be there. And so the, the, the greatest step that we can take, actually, as we, those of us who are in missional family, the greatest gift that we can give is the gift of presence, of being there to help one another, to pray for one another, to step into those spaces. But that obviously takes a lot of work and it takes risk. Tim Keller says this, Of course, everyone says that they want community, friendship, and love. Everyone's like, yep, I'm down for that. But mention the words accountability or commitment and people run the other way. That's when it gets a little bit harder to stick with someone when it's maybe not going so well. And yet here we see in the text that faithfully these, these boys came to Noah and they, they would do what was right in that moment. And listen, maybe you've had experiences in your church life where that's gone well or it's been pushed too far or not been practiced well. It, there's definitely a risk that comes with it. But Proverbs 27.5 reminds us that better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And then verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's wisdom from Proverbs, saying that's what we need actually. Something, maybe a word that in the moment hurts, but in the long run will bring fruit and life. So the, the blanket is covered over Noah, but the blanket is really just an image of a better covering that we need. So the blanket in many ways can be uh, produced through all kinds of activity. And maybe you think like the, the fact that you're here this morning, you're at church on a Sunday morning, or maybe the fact that you, you're, you're not afraid to call yourself a Christian. I don't know what it is. Something can easily be turned into a covering. When the, the covering that we need, as the gospel says, is actually the covering of Jesus Christ. And what he has done for us. The, the sin and brokenness that all of us face. That all of us experience the consequences to. Are meant to be covered in a way that is eternal. That is far deeper than anything that we could do in this fleshly body. And so we are given the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus came to die for your sins. To die for my sins. He was buried, and then he was raised to new life. There were eyewitnesses that saw him raised to new life so that your sins could be covered. You could live in a, in a good relationship with God. But more than that, more than a good relationship, how can there be more than that? 
Like, what else do we need? A good relationship with God, one that is made right. But more than that, we can actually live with his presence in our lives today. We can experience him in the difficulties, in the joys of life. We can glorify him in all that we do because we've been covered by our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what you've done on the cross. Thank you for dying for our sins. Lord, we echo what Psalm 32 says, where it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression, whose sin is forgiven, and whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man and the woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Lord, we thank you that when you forgive our sins, you forgive us all our sins of the past, all the ones in the present, all the ones in the future, Lord, you know that we still live in a world of sin, and yet you've covered us for all of the sins and given us the power of the Spirit to live for you today. So, Lord, firstly, we say thank you. And secondly, we say, Lord, teach us more how to live within that context, within that new reality of being sons and daughters of the King. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.